Now, I know I'm not the only one that has ever questioned, Lord, where in the world are you right now? And uh, I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one. But nevertheless, I, I really have been feeling this in my heart. Uh, today we're going to talk about where's God's throne. And uh, we're going to take our text from Isaiah 66 and verse 1. It says, Thus says the Lord, the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? So where is God's throne? Of course, we know, we understand that it's in heaven. You probably know that a throne is a place where a king rules and reigns. Where he sits and his authority is simply unquestioned. How many men here today have a chair that you sit in at home? And that's your chair. Nobody else's chair. That's your chair. And, uh, you know, I have a chair. I, my wife sits in it occasionally. But, but it's mostly me that sits in that chair. It's a big, oversized, lazy boy recliner. And uh, it's where I do a lot of my reading and a lot of my praying, too, is done in that chair. <laughs> and uh, a lot of my sitting and musing on the great deep mysteries of life while taking a nap is done in that oversized recliner chair. Well, you know, God has a throne, too. And, you know, unlike many of us, that our, our chairs are interchangeable with various members of our family. Whosoever would like to sit there first usually gets that chair. Um, God's throne is unquestioned. And he is the only one that can sit in it. He's the only one that can handle. You could not handle being God for five seconds. Couldn't do it. Amen. And so I, I wouldn't want to be God. Look at Exodus chapter 25. Where is God's throne in the Old Testament? On earth? We're, again, we're talking about his throne on the earth. It says, And you shall make a mercy seat of pure gold, two cubits and a half. Shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. You shall make two cherubims of gold of beaten work. You shall make them in the two ends of the mercy seat. And make one cherub on the other end, on one end, and the other cherub on the other end. So two cherubs or angels on both ends. Even of the mercy seat shall you make the cherubims on the two ends thereof. And the cherubims shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings. And their faces shall look one to another. Toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubims be. And you shall put the mercy seat above upon the ark. And in the ark shalt thou put the testimony that I give thee. And there I will meet with you, and I will commune with thee from the mercy seat, from above the mercy, from between the cherubs which are upon the ark of the testimony of all the things which I will give you in the commandment unto the children of Israel. So God gave Moses specific instructions on how to make the ark of the covenant. Now that's what we just read, or part of what we just read. And also the mercy seat. So God promised to meet Moses on top of this mercy seat. Remember that the mercy seat was simply a lid for the Ark of the Covenant. Now, it was called the mercy seat because it was covered in blood. Every year, the high priest on the Day of Atonement, he would come into the, in, in, into the most holy place, and he would take that blood of the lamb, and he would sprinkle it on top of that mercy seat. And so that was the place of communion, was the place of mercy. And so that's where God communed with Moses. So the Hebrews called it, called, so there was a, an a physical manifestation of God's presence that was always sitting on top of that mercy seat. And it was like a glory cloud. As, you know, the old apostolics used to say, you know, the glory cloud is here. And we even wrote songs about it, you know, years ago that, that, that people, that folks would sing. Um, but the Hebrews would call it the Shekinah glory. 
Now, that word Shekinah, as far as I can tell, is never in the, in the Bible, but it, it just means he who dwells or he who causes to dwell. And it was what they called a divine visitation or visible manifestation of God. It was similar to, you may remember how whenever the children of Israel were, made their journeys through the wilderness, remember what there was by day and by night. There was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And the Bible says it was the likeness or like fire by, by night. So in the daytime, it would have gave them a cloud covering. And there was a logical reason for that as well. It was probably pretty hot in the desert. And so that, that cloud would have probably been well received. <laughs> Uh, that hovered above them and covered them. Every, it wasn't, I don't think it was a cloud like we look up in the sky and we see a cloud. And it's like any other cloud. But it was something that they knew was, was the presence of God. And other, other people outside of Israel would have seen that as well. So once Israel was in their promised land, Moses' tabernacle, along with the Ark of the Covenant in that mercy seat, rested in a place called Shiloh. Now, Shiloh was in the hill country of Joseph's second son, whose name was Ephraim. Okay, now remember, Ephraim was blessed over Manasseh, who was obviously the older brother. This is from Psalms 78 and verse 67. It says, moreover, he refused the tabernacle of Joseph and chose not the tribe of Ephraim, but chose the tribe of Judah, the Mount Zion, which he loved. And he built the sanctuary like high palaces, like the earth which have been established forever. He chose David, also his servant, and took him from among the sheepfolds. So here, the Bible says that God refused the tabernacle of Joseph. And of course, he met the tabernacle of Moses that was in the hill country of Ephraim. Remember, Ephraim was the second son or youngest son of Joseph. So the psalmist called it the tabernacle of Joseph because it was in the hill country of Ephraim. Now, as you know from reading your Bible, if you have, that Israel fell into idolatry. You may have heard that somewhere preached from this pulpit at some point in time. Not just once, but a whole bunch of times. They did things that were unthinkable, even by today's crazy standards. I mean, they burnt their own children as a sacrifice. They burnt their children as a sacrifice to false gods. And that's how deeply into idolatry and debauchery that they had felt. And as a result of that, the glory that had once rested in that sacred holy place, it departed. From 1 Samuel chapter 4, says this was this is after um, Eli the priest had fallen off that place and he had died because he heard that the Philistines had defeated Israel in battle and they had taken the Ark of the Covenant. And the Bible says this, and she named the child Ichabod, this was the son of Eli the priest, saying the glory is departed from Israel because the Ark of God was taken and because her father-in-law and her husband, they had both died in the battle. And she said the glory is departed from Israel for the Ark of God is taken. Now, Eli was the high priest. And at the time, Israel was in horrible idolatry. At this time, they were in horrible idolatry. And, the, and that was obviously the reason why the Ark of God had been taken in battle. And so the general duties that were assigned to the high priest were not being done. And when they were, they were being done half-heartedly. And when they were done, as I said, there was no passion in it. It was a very half-hearted effort. 
As a matter of fact, Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were horrible and wicked sinners before the Lord. And Eli permitted it. He did not honor the Lord, and there was no hunger for God's presence there in Israel at this time. And then the scripture says this one chapter earlier. And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Now this was before the ark of the covenant was taken in battle by the Philistines that we just read. And before she had that son and she named him Ichabod, meaning the glory of the Lord has departed. So the meaning appears to be that God hadn't, hadn't been there in Shiloh. Remember, Shiloh was where the ark had rested after they came into their promised land. That, that, that God had not been there for quite some time. Because God dwells among a separated people. And so as they came into their promised land, I, I would presume that the glory cloud would have still been there. But at some point, because of idolatry and because of sin, because there was no hunger and no passion, that glory began to fizzle away and to fade away. Until the ark of God could easily have been taken in battle. Okay? And so, and yet... Despite all of this, Eli the priest continued to function in his lukewarm, half-hearted state as the high priest. Israel had still a form of religion, but they did not have any power or manifestation of God's presence. Because they lacked the genuine Shekinah glory that they had experienced in the wilderness for 40 years. So during the time that, that, that you know, God had left, long before the ark left, the ark was just like the seal you know, you know, this is it. This is like the signature on the divorce papers. You've been separated for a while, but here you are. I'm officially leaving you. I mean, and, 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 you know, that's, that's what the ark of God meant to them. The glory has departed. But they didn't get upset until their little ark of the covenant had left. Because that was their little symbol of all these past things that God had done. But what they didn't realize was nobody stopped to think, wait a second. I don't see any glory cloud there anymore. And yet, during this whole time, they continued to make sacrifices. They continued to, to, to do their little form of worship. They continued to go through the motions. But there was no power. There was no manifestation of God in it. And so the worship of God became a religion. An empty form of religion with no power to save and no power to heal. And it was just like every other nation. Even though they were worshiping God in truth, they were not worshiping Him in spirit. And know that we would never fall into that trap. We have to keep the fires burning hot. Years ago, B.B. King wrote a song called The Thrill is Gone. And it's about his, his yearning for, for the passion that, would, that, that once used to burn hot in his heart for his, for his romantic partner, for his wife or friend or girlfriend, whatever it was. And he wrote, The Thrill is Gone. And you know what? I hope to God that the church can never say that about our worship. But one of the most telling things of the thrill being gone is when we have to be pumped and primed to come into God's presence and worship. And, and you know, I, I'm not condemning anybody. I'm just simply laying it out as God laid it out before me. That ought never to be that we have a form of religion, but we lack the power and genuine presence of God. Because we can fall into that trap. You know, they used to say years ago, and I agree with it, there ain't no church that's deader than a dead apostolic church. I would rather be in a Baptist church than a church that has the truth but no passion for it. And no passion for the things of God and no passion for prayer. 
Oh, that we would never fall into that trap. God help us. So they wept for the glory of God departing when the ark left them. They thought the ark was the glory. You know, our truth alone doesn't give us some special power with God if we don't have any passion to go along with it. And so rather the ark was where the glory of God rested, at least at one point. Jeremiah, 11, Jeremiah 7 says this, Is this house which is called by my name become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, even I have seen it, says the Lord. But go ye now unto my place which was in Shiloh, where I set my name at the first, and see what I did to it for the wickedness of my people Israel. So God rejected his people in Shiloh, as I just talked about, for their wickedness, and the glory departed. And that's why the psalm says this, but he chose the tribe of Judah. This is Psalm 78, 68. He chose the tribe of Judah. He rejected Ephraim, the tabernacle of Joseph, but he chose the tribe of Judah, the Mount Zion, which he loved. So get this, that God went from a tent, which was obviously did not have any permanent foundation. It moved from place to place to place until it finally had a resting place in Shiloh. But even then, it had no permanent foundation because it's a tent. He went from a tent to a tabernacle in Solomon's, that's Solomon's tabernacle, or he calls it uh, David's tabernacle or David's house that he built. But you understand it was the house that Solomon built. And so he went from a tent, a place of no foundation, to a place of a permanent foundation built on a rock. Does that sound familiar? Remember, when the tabernacle was dedicated and the glory of God came down so strong, the priest could not minister when Solomon dedicated that tabernacle, because they had not seen that in their tent for a very long time, and now the glory was back. And the priests could not minister. They said, we got to stop, because the glory, the power of God is here. Amen. And so we go from the law of Moses, which was a temporary setup, to a church built on a rock with a permanent foundation. I'm glad that I'm a part of that church. That's built on a rock. And 2020 is not the first storm that's came against the church. There have been many more. And you know what? All who have, uh, who, who, who have hit against the church have been broken. But the church still marches forward and stands because it's not built on a tent. It's built on a rock. And it ain't never going anywhere. And one of these days... When God has had his way and revival has swept this earth, he's going to call us up and out of this world. Praise God. I'm looking forward to that day. But you can read the book of Ezekiel and the rest of the prophets and see the horrible idolatry that Israel fell into again, even after Solomon had built his temple. And they had the glory of God fall so strongly that the priest could not minister. And that's why God told Israel through Jeremiah, remember what I did in Shiloh. I did it once. I put my name in Moses' tabernacle. I left that place. I put my name in Solomon's tabernacle there. And, and, and I can do to this place what I did to Shiloh. And how he left that place and the glory departed. Ezekiel 10 verse 18 says, then the glory. Watch this now. This is speaking about that temple that Solomon built. Then the glory of the Lord departed from off the threshold of the house and stood above the cherubims. And the cherubims lifted up their wings and mounted up from the earth in my sight. When they went out, the wheels also were beside them. And everyone stood at the door of the east gate of the Lord's house. And the glory of the Lord of the God of Israel was over them above. So what God is doing is the glory left that sacred place and stood by the door. 
In other words, God was saying, I'm getting ready to exit this place. You can read the rest of Ezekiel 10 and all throughout the book of Ezekiel how that glory did leave that place. The glory of God departed and left. The glory of God went and stood by the door of the tabernacle in Ezekiel's vision because the glory of God was departing just like it had in Shiloh centuries earlier. And the glory did eventually leave that place. That's why we see them carrying on business as usual in God's house when Jesus came on the scene. Remember when he came on the scene and he overturned their tables and overthrew the tables of them that sold doves and and their so-called marketplace. And he said, it is rich in my house. should be called the house of prayer. But you made it to the thieves. And it was the thieves not because, you know, not just because they were stealing from each other. But when we carry on business as usual, we're robbing God the glory that naturally belongs to him. Give God glory. That command is over and over and over again in the Psalms. That's what we do when we praise. And we worship him. Is we're giving him the glory. Amen. And so when the glory departs, we use other things to fill up that space like they did. The church must never become business as usual. We have to hunger and seek after a genuine manifestation of God. So Jeremiah prophesied that God would leave that temple in the same way that he left Shiloh. And we see this vision fulfilled in Ezekiel's vision of the glory departed. This is really what Ezekiel's ministry was all about, to talk about how that glory, remember, it was on, it rested on the cherub, on the wings of the cherubim. You know, that Ark of the Covenant, you know, the word cherub just means, you know, one that covers. So there was these recovering angels. That Ark of the Covenant was built with the cherub on, e- on either side of the Ark. And they had their wings outstretched. And they were covering the Ark. Amen. And so whenever the glory did departed, it departed on the wings of those two cherubs. In other words, it was the glory that rested on top of that ark. You know, the glory of God that rests on the message of truth that we preach must never depart, but it will if we ever lose our passion for prayer, for his word, for worship, for witnessing, for the things of God. We have to mix it with passion. you got to stir yourself up. You can't wait on the pastor to come and preach you into this. You can't wait on the praise team, you know, to have it just right. Amen. you got to come into this place and say, you know what? This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. If I'm not glad for any other reason, I know he saved me. I know when I die, I know where I'm going. I know my sins have been forgiven. I've been washed in the name of Jesus Christ. If that don't get us excited, then something ought to be burning in our souls, hot, ready, and and, and red hot for Jesus Christ. Amen. We got to have passion for this. And so... You know, oh, Lord, I got two minutes left. Okay, fasten your seatbelts. Haggai 2.9 says, The glory of the Lord of this latter house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, says the Lord. Now, Haggai was written about 70 years before Ezekiel's vision of the glory departing. So Haggai was saying that the glory is going to come back to a house that had not left, that had not had the glory even leave yet. And so 70 years later, Ezekiel saw this vision of the glory departing. And then maybe Ezekiel remembered, ah, Haggai said the glory is going to come back. And not only that, but it's going to be greater than what we did had ever been experienced before. And now you fast forward to the book of Luke. Because i got one minute left. Uh, and, and praise him, you can come. From, from Luke 4, says this. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal their brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that 
that are bruised to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And that's why later on in Matthew 12, Jesus would later say, a, a, a greater than Solomon is here. Amen. Because a greater glory than appeared to Solomon's tabernacle was there walking among them. Amen. Their fathers had the glory of God hidden within a cloud and resting behind a veil of the temple that no man could approach into but the high priest once a year. But Paul said later on, we have seen the glory of God in the face, in the face of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, there is glory. Where preaching is, there is there is the setting of the captives free. Amen. We are entering a season where God is going to do unprecedented things. We can't walk five steps behind what God wants to do. We got to get behind this. We got to get into this. We got to stir up our passion and stir up our hearts like we've never done it before because there is going to come a revival that is going to shake this world like we have never seen it shaken before. And a, a revelation of the truth will come to this city and to this world. Let's lift our hands right now and let's thank God for that. Come on, let your voices out for just a moment right now. Oh, he's worthy of our praise.